0: To make it in cannabis, first you must dare to. Twelve years ago, M.J. MJBizCon dared to unite the global cannabis community, igniting a movement that continues to thrive. The wait is over. Let's grow together this November 28th through December 1st in Vegas. You'll hear incredible stories, see groundbreaking innovations, and forge connections you need to thrive in 2024. But wait, the clock is ticking. Get your tickets by September 28th and save up to $200. And here's the secret podcast listeners get 10% off with promo code 23pod10. Don't miss out. Get your tickets at mjbizcon.com. That's mjbizcon.com. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got JJ McKay. He is the founder and publisher of The Fresh Toast. JJ, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. I am thrilled to be with you, Josh. Likewise. For those who haven't heard of the Fresh Toast, they're living under a rock somewhere or whatever, why don't you tell the audience what the Fresh Toast is and then how you got involved? Well, for the
1: million plus that see us every day, we're a content generator. But as a company, we are a a media content company that produces fresh content every day. A majority of it being either cannabis, medical marijuana, or CBD. We run it on our site. We share it out on our social media. um, And we have about 1.5 million people following us on Facebook on the Fresh Post News or the Fresh Toast. And we're launching a new site this week, the Fresh Toast Health. And then we turn around and then syndicate that content out to newspapers around the US and Canada. So in Canada, our partners post media and they've shared about 28% of all stories read in Canada on marijuana are our stories. And then in the United States, our big partner is Tribune Publishing and Tribune, Tribune Content Agencies. So our stuff goes out to cities all over the country every day.
0: That's great. So if people have stories and they want published, uh, are you kind of an intermediary for that? Do you accept no. people's work? You don't.
1: Well, and the other thing is uh, the other side of our house, we're kind of a bifurcated company. We also are the large, uh, we partner with the largest training medical training company in the United States. Hmm. They have 1.7 million licensed healthcare professionals of which 800,000 are physicians, which represents 80% of the practicing physicians in the US and 80% of all clinical investigators. So we work and we train them every month or more, sometimes more than a month on how to have the conversation around medical marijuana. And how to how to look at that, and then we also are working with them. Uh, we're rolling out a new division in the next week that will deepen our relationship with that, and that's a seven-year exclusive partnership we have with them.
0: That's great. So actually, you're getting into the healthcare system and getting them to kind of know more about cannabinoids, CBD, THC, whatever. Yes,
1: you know, and you know, we're kind of a, we're very um, consumer focused. Mm-hmm. So we're very much so we get lots of data every day. I mean, we, you know, we have, you know, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people look at our stories. And so we know what people are interested in. And I will be in conversations with the industry. And the industry is full of a bunch of, um, I like to call it, they're a bunch of sommeliers sometimes trying to talk to people at Applebee's.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> and there's a mixture of the message, and the sommeliers don't always get where the people at the Applebee's are coming from. So they'll say one thing and they'll say another. So like in the medical field, part of the issue is everybody's like, well, they should be prescribing weed now, medical marijuana now. And, you know, there's not a process system within healthcare for that. But once it's federally legalized, there will be, and there'll be a reimbursement number and so forth. So right now, if you're a doctor, you, um, you don't have a reimbursement code. So you make no money off of doing it all. And it cuts into your patient time. You can't guarantee that the, the product you prescribe will be the product that they actually get because there's such variance amongst products uh, between states and sometimes within own batches. And then last but not least, if you prescribe that over something, a more traditional medication, it doesn't work and there's a harmful side effect. And a harmful side effect could be, hey, we tried this, but your asthma didn't get any better. I'm just making that up. And It got significantly worse, then that opens them up for malpractice. Mm -hmm. So there's multiple things for it it to be mainstreamed into the medical community. Uh, But once the FDA, once the FDA steps in, what you're going to see is you're going to see an immediate change on how medical marijuana is used.
0: I love that top-down approach, but how do you complete this cycle Can you end up talking to bud tenders in the same way with information in in the back office and then consumers somehow? How do you, or or is it just that? Is it just that the nurses teach everybody and it trickles down? Well, we we have two approaches. So one approach is we talk to,
1: we go to where the customer is. We don't make the customer come to us. Hmm. They're already reading the Chicago Tribune, the Toronto Star. They, you know, they're already out there reading, you know, the Miami Herald they're already reading that information. And so we go to where it is, and if it tickles their fancy, they read it and then they learn more, but we reach such a broad scale that all of a sudden you're seeing a change in perception. And, you know, we reach into, you know, two of our biggest readership states are Texas and Florida. So we have a huge distribution there. And so we, we talk to people about what it is. And then on the reverse, they then have the tools to have a conversation with their medical professional that is much more um, fact-based and expectation-based. So you asked early about, do we, do people, we're not a PR firm. We create our own original content and we have a very strict editorial policy of how we, all of our stories are very laid out similar. We're very much like a newspaper.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of your favorite stories uh, from last year? You, I mean, I'm sure you. there's thousands of them. Do you have one that stands out for any given reason from, from last year?
1: Well, our number one story, because we do, we do some things other than weed, is the Guinness Book World Record of Sex. That's always a top story <laughs> every weekend. Every weekend. <laughs> so it's nice to know that for those that were in some type of relationship, there's a great adventure going out there in the United States right now. Um, you know, the, What we saw, which is unfortunate, we saw a lot of trends on anxiety Uh, We did a lot of medical stories around uh, managing anxiety, managing depression, Mm. um, and managing uh, aches and pains. I think people were trying to try different exercise routines, and they used um, CBD and or cannabis to help them when they didn't have someone guiding them correctly, and they might have had an oopsie on tweaking something or pulling something.
0: There's a lot of people that were taking edibles this year, and I'm curious if you saw some of those trends uh, in the industry and in some of the articles with people staying at home a transfer from you know, the topicals that you would see to more edibles. And I'm wondering if that uh, consumer um, if that consumer behavior trend was temporary just during the lockdown, like people were eating a lot of of sweets and edibles and everything. Um, Or is it going back more towards the holistic approach? Was that a temporary change in consumer behavior um, or people just looking for all kinds of alternatives um, in addition to flour?
1: So we get a lot of, so great question. We get, so I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer it kind of a broader way. Yeah, We get a lot of feedback of, of how the product is used. So we work with great companies that give us uh, POS uh, point of sale data that says, you know, uh, weed, flour is the number one way people still consume. Mm. Edibles is probably the least way they consume and that includes beverage. But edibles is usually the um, least traumatic way to enter if you've never done it because you feel, you're doing something that you're used to. You're eating something. So with people who do edibles, what happens is is they tend to overindulge or they want to try multiple things and it's usually a journey. And so if their first time using an edible does well, then they can go on to it. And we have a whole series of articles around that that um, Friday, Saturday and Sunday always turn out to be really high performers on that. you know how to come down from a high, what to do with an edible. But we saw a lot more interest in it. and part of it goes back to brought down anxiety, brought down depression, uh, I'm home. I'm home all by myself. Why not try it? I mean, I'm tired of drinking. You know, you saw a period where um, pre-COVID California beer drinking on the first part of the week was on the way down. So now you have people who are doing this as a way to get through. Vaping is really popular. I We've seen a lot of people vape mm-hmm. because it's not as intrusive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of stigma behind, behind taking a joint, you know, because people don't want to look like that typical hippie in their mind. And so we provide other aspects. And we also try to put it into context of, hey, it's no different than having a tequila shot. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you'll see that a lot in Arizona where vaping is a lot more popular. Washington pre-rolls are a lot more popular and it's because of the stigma conservative down there in Arizona, but maybe that'll open up now that it's uh, you know, adult use. Um, curious about East Coast, West Coast, You know, we have the, the old school states, you know, Washington, Colorado, even, we'll throw them in there. Nevada, even, Oregon, been around for a few years, five years maybe, uh, on the adult use market. And wondering whether the stories you see on West Coast, East Coast, emerging markets versus traditional or, or older markets, um, what are you seeing out there? Because I, I kind of look at New York as, you know, the financial hub. And yet just a few years ago, they didn't even know anything about dabbing. So now that everything's kind of going on board and New Jersey's legalized and Virginia's trying to, and all these states are trying to get out of debt um, and, and cure their budget woes. What is that leading towards in terms of um, the stories and the headlines that they're mostly clicking on?
1: So... Um, to give you an example of of where the East Coast is, our first syndication partner was the New York Daily News, um, when it was still independent, and so it was a, a long negotiation, and finally the guy in charge, the who I shall remain nameless, sends me a thing that says one last question, and I'm like, okay, and he says, New York is in New York, marijuana is still illegal. Why should we cover it in the New York Daily News? And my response is, when we look at all the usage charts, New York City is always the number one city in marijuana use. And in New York City, you can buy the exact same thing that you can buy in LA or the Bay Area or San Diego. You're just buying it from a guy who delivers it in a case or something. Mm -hmm. And his response was, let's get this partnership
0: rolling.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So why they're not their traditional legal states, Usage is very similar to the same. Um, but just like with the emerging, the Canna Curious and the cannabis emerging market, it is a slow rollout. Um, we get a lot of feedback that people get overwhelmed in legal state stores because there's so many options. Mm-hmm. And those that have perhaps used it recreationally prior to legalization, shall we say? They had much fewer options and felt much more comfortable with the options. You know, it's the difference between going to, say, in and out Burger and the Cheesecake Factory. in and out Burger, very few choices, but you know it's going to be good, and you know it's going to be something you want to come back to. Cheesecake Factory, it's like 17 pages of food, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. (laughs) So, you know, it's a journey. As you go into legalization, what we hear, it's definitely a journey, and stores often give, the perception is stores give too much of an example. (laughs) unlike historically because we are historically a drinking company uh you can go into a bevmo or a total and people pretty well know i'm a vodka drinker i drink bourbon and they kind of know they might know a portion and then they're tickled because there's a bigger portion that they're more that they're used to but they 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 have a long history and chances are their family has a history in drinking a particular type of alcohol Hmm. does that make sense
0: absolutely yeah and i think with um you know what you said earlier about Florida and Texas being conservative and yet having some of the highest click rates. I find that really interesting. Um, so in the eventuality that, that national legalization happens, um, you're going to see conservative spots like Florida and Texas, you know, adding, you'll have maybe dry counties like Texas already has, but there's a lot to those States, um, What are you kind of seeing, because I'm interested in in where both of them are going. I don't think Florida, you're going to be able to grow much, but Texas and Florida is going to consume a lot. So what are they really diving into in in a lot of the conservative regions, um, as I kind of imagine them just waiting for that opportunity to dig themselves out of a financial hole and add CBD and THC to the list?
1: You have to remember, four years ago when they elected, it was something like 63% voted for the legalization of, of medical marijuana. And they said the, the, um, you had to reach a thr- threshold, I think, of 65%. And the governor you know, stopped it, stop, 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 stop. So this last election um, in, I think, 18, um, 71% of Floridians voted for medical marijuana. So that tells you something right there. The panhandle of Florida is probably one of the most robust marijuana growing regions in the country the panhandle florida lower mississippi lower alabama and lower georgia is probably some of the most robust marijuana growing areas of the country because it's rich farmland lots of water and all that sort of stuff so there is there is a a hefty market that will emerge and i think when you see full legalization you will have a um, you will see a hit taken on uh, some of the big growers now because they're in because they're indoor grow and outdoor grow will become very big because it's much cheaper and you know it's a case within uh, amongst some conservatives of well now that it's legal i can make money on it so let's go full torpedo ahead
0: mm-hmm. yeah so,
1: um, it's, it's not unlike the lottery if you remember you know no one wanted a lottery until all the money was there and then everybody has a lottery now
0: that's yeah that's an interesting point did yeah. that answer your question Yes, there. Yeah, you know, so we're seeing 411 million dollars in uh, last month that uh, California purchased, and then with Illinois, you're seeing on average per people going in there buying 110 dollars per uh, per visit. But so I'm I'm envisioning some of that in, in um, Illinois to be outside of the state, right. just like in Washington State, we had people coming in from Idaho and and Portland coming in, but the majority of them I would imagine don't want to go back and stand in line and do all of that. Buying a bunch back, um, so I would imagine that Florida, Texas, whatever new onboarding states, going to go through the same thing. Um, is it is it recreation or is it more about uh, medical in those two areas? Are people looking at CBD articles? Or are they looking at um, edible articles? Do you know?
1: So, um, so I'm going. An- I'm going to answer that two ways. So remember, pre COVID and right into COVID. Chicago is one of the travel hubs, that's one of the, the three travel hubs, real travel hubs that are open mm. for, for, for recreational. So you have LA, you have the Bay Area, and then you have Chicago. So those are all big travel hubs. So you have a lot of people who can come in, buy it up, and fly out with it, or drive to it and fly out with it. So that's one of the reasons I think Illinois does really well. CBD is huge, it's becoming um, uh, ubiquitous. When, I, when we launched the Fresh Toast at the very end of 2016, CBD was considered a subset of the marijuana world. And now CBD is expected to be its, its, its own standalone industry and is expected to be as big. it is. Um, they track it similar to the supplement industry and the vitamin industry. So it's moving into that area. So CBD is very popular. The issue is it has launched itself in a way with often more product information than regular information. So you can buy it at Amazon, you can buy it at Walmart, you can buy it in all these places. And it's like, this So CBD in it. And as we've found, because it's not particularly well-regulated, it may not be true. So people use CBD often as a um, experiment. And what they're using CBD for is anxiety and sleep and pain, and pain around, say pain around joint pain, that sort of stuff. Um, But at the end of the day, when it comes to CBD, it tends to be around some type of issue. You know, people just do not like, hey, it's Wednesday afternoon, let's have some CBD. You know, people don't do that. Or they might get CBD water because I have a busy day and this is gonna get me going. You know, it's that's what they're looking for. Whereas weed, we know, a majority of weed is used for recreational, not unlike beer, not unlike wine, not unlike alcohol. You know, there's definitely people who need weed for medical issues, but that's also in a much more constrained, people just don't go, oh, I have a back pain." you know, I have, a, I have neck or a shoulder pain or arm pain, let me smoke a joint. No, they don't do that. They're like, usually it's around something a little bit more, I have GERD, I have anxiety, I have esophageal problems, so I'm taking, I'm taking a, um, oil. So I could do that. So that tends to be a little bit more regulated. So that's about 25% of the market. The risk is, you know what? Drinking all this beer makes me fat. So I'm going to hit a vape three days a week as we see what's happening in California.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely a, a change of lifestyle. I think everyone's looking for more uh, healthier, alternative um, ways of, of living for sure. We're seeing that oh. in grocery stores and everywhere else. So CBD as a supplement, Guaranteed, yeah, more cannabinoids are gonna be there where CBG or CBN, pain, sleep, anxiety, all those things people are definitely gonna be looking for.
1: We've worked with a couple of celebrities one one celebrity wife who shall remain nameless, who could fit into her cheerleader costume from college 40 years earlier. Part of her thing is she never drinks, she only vapes. Hmm. Because she doesn't get any of the calories. And she feels a a stronger control system. Mm -hmm. And so when you really look at, um, from females point of view, especially in college, we also see um, it is easier for a college girl to vape and have better control. Because when you're out, I don't know if you drink, but you're out at a bar in college, people are buying you drinks, let's do a shot. All of a sudden, Without paying attention, you could be really wasted. Mm -hmm. And it's also a lot of peer pressure. People don't go vape, 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 (laughs) vape. You you can control it. And it's a closed system. So you don't have to worry about anything being put into your drink, being it being something, you know, like a date rape drug or just an extra shot that might get you stumbling. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. No, I actually haven't had anything to drink for a year. I quit drinking coffee like over six months ago. So, I'm trying to, trying to cut it out. I'm sure I'll drink again, but um, it was for health reasons. I was overweight from the, I'll blame it on the pandemic too well, much. Well, you look great. Oh, thank you. I've lost, uh, I guess maybe like 20 pounds since, um, I don't know, six, seven months. So, Good job. Gyms are back open and I'm not eating the garbage that my wife was bringing in the house early last year. I'll blame that on her because I don't want to take responsibility for it. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think everybody, everyone, you know, had the COVID-7 or the COVID-10 or COVID-8, you know, whatever they say.
0: Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, the sugar is really, really hard for me. I've cut out, I've done a lot of drugs and I've done a lot of things and and sugar is really, really hard for me to cut out. I have no willpower and I don't even, um, I don't even really apologize when I eat all of the candy that my wife's bring home and she doesn't get any of it. I I just don't have any self-control or or willpower. (laughs) Anyways, I digress. I love
1: how you're just so brutally honest. Yeah. But you know, here's part of the here's part of the issue when it comes to edible and beverages. Unlike most other parts in the uh, countries in the world, we are volume consumers. Mm. That's why you have a buka de beppo. You know, we look at a, a plate that you might get in Europe of pasta, and we're like, "What's this? Where's the rest?" Yeah. So we're always about volume. Um, you know no one rarely does someone have one beer they have four beers or six pack rarely do you have one cocktail you have multiple cocktails so the difference is you know you really can't eat unless especially starting off you can't eat a whole edible or at least or two edibles it's all about portion control Mm. and that is that is something that is a consumer population we have to better understand
0: The Mexican plates in here, like Azteca is a popular Mexican restaurant here and the plates are just enormous and the food is like for a a tiny village and you're like, what am I supposed to do with all this? You know, whereas I'm used to, you know, I've lived in Japan and I've visited Europe and I like the tapas style, you know, the Japanese izakaya plates, shareable plates. Um, I don't know what that means. Like culturally, like, are they, you know, in Japan, if your water's low, they fill your water up. So are they going to go and like, make sure your bong water's clean or is in Europe, is everyone going to share joints or I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but, uh, interesting to see like with legalization worldwide, how the culture is going to change. Uh, I'm definitely interested in the future and what's going to happen. Um, you guys did a crystal ball prediction I think The Fresh Toast had something about a month or so ago about crystal ball predictions and I'm wondering if I can get your take on that cuz I took The Fresh Toast and about a dozen other publishers I aggregated that albeit a small data set right. and then had you know maybe like 40 different data points on it was about a half as last year which made me think people didn't really know what was going to happen cuz this year's so crazy Having said that, here's what we got. Last year, price and profit was number one. It slipped to the sixth slot as legal and regulation and politics. I kind of put that all together. Hits the number one uh, crystal ball predictions for 2021 in the hemp and cannabis space. Almost 42% thought that something to do with either added legal states and or federal legalization was going to happen. And uh, just wondering about your take on some of these, either personally, what you think is going to happen, um, either in in this order or you know, you pick and choose what you think 2021 is going to look like.
1: Well, I think uh, one, I think if I think one is obvious. I mean, the administration said that they're going to do something. Uh, states need money, so I think you're going to see by the end of this year a, a fundamental shift on the legalization of cannabis. Now, will it be decriminalized? Maybe. Will it be fully open market? Maybe. And what people don't realize is the after effects of all that. Let's say if Biden tomorrow, you know, fully decriminalized cannabis, you're gonna have a whole change because you FDA is getting in, you have you have all these government regulatory agencies, it'll be two or three years before anything gets done. But definitely there's gonna be change because we need that revenue and the public wants it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when so, banking is, is legalized and you have all kinds of opportunities and things are just going to go crazy after that.
1: So you'll have a surge of investor money because now someone like a CalPERS can come in or somebody, you know, you have all sorts of people can come in. Now, consolidation is going to happen because once interstate commerce happens, there's not a reason for, uh, you do, for people. You'll see companies consolidate and they could be a Northwest company, they could be a West Coast company, they could be a Midwest company, they could be a, a national company and have... Um, efficiencies by running it that way. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's happening is pre COVID, we got probably every day eight pitches. We're going to be the Wolf Klico or the Krug of cannabis. Mm-hmm. We're going to be super high end. But when you really look at consumer behavior, that's a really small portion of the market. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who make money are the people who are who make, you know, Hershey's and Del Monte and who make uh two buck Chuck. They're the one who, rake, who make rolling the money. You know, when I started the Fresh Toast people, I'd be at a party, especially in LA with some of my society girlfriends. And they'd be like, he's doing the vanity fair of cannabis. And I'm like, no, I'm doing the McDonald's of cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> and They're like, oh, that's not as attractive. I'm like, which would you rather own? one super fine dining restaurant or a chain of McDonald's. And they're like, well, you can always eat well if you own the super high end. And I'm like, and if you own the chain of McDonald's, they'll come to your house and cook it because you can afford it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, you know, so you're going to see consolidation. And I think uh, we've already seen a um, reconfiguring where more people are going to mid-market mm-hmm. of what you want. Um, you, I don't know if you go to target or Amazon go or where else where we, I was at this week, um, where we were looking at different stores and, you know, Amazon go and target, it's all mid-market for mm-hmm. alcohol. And so when they start carrying weed, it's going to be the exact same thing. Hmm.
0: So What's the the most? not high end, not low end, just the middle it's volume.
1: Right. It. It's all about it's volume at a profit, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Now when it comes to the consumer, price price versus profit is a huge issue because when you look at you know who's doing the best in alcohol sales, and I say alcohol sales because there's so many more people selling alcohol right now and it's really you know the alcohol you could buy at a Kroger or a Fred Meyer or a um, uh, uh, you know a Publix, which you know, we're not a big fan of right now, but you know, all these chains, it's whatever's accessible is what wounds up being your biggest sellers. So when you have a product company and, and you want legalization, but the moment legalization comes, comes all the big players, you know, Wal- maybe not Walmart to begin with, but Target and BevMo and Total, and they're going to push lower and mid-market stuff.
0: And yeah. So that's where it's going to be and probably push out a lot of businesses if we follow what what happened with the coffee industry a lot of mom and pops got squeezed out a lot of beer manufacturers um, actually were able to proliferate because of the mediocrity I guess when you have just an average beer for example you want micro beers. Um, you want you know, maybe a specialized barista, whether that's a bikini barista or whatever, there's going to be specialized cannabis retailers for whatever fancy, you know, you have either a discerning customer or just somebody wants to buy bud from a half naked individual. There's going to have to be some kind of, um, you know, circus show to to sell more. To well, it's,
1: it's funny you brought up beer. So three beers represent 52% of the market. You know what those three beers are?
0: I'm um, guessing Miller and Budweiser and Corona or something, uh, Constellation Brands?
1: Close. So the top three beers that own 52% of the entire beer market, Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light. Hmm. Those three beers represent 52% of all beer sales. Wow. Now, during COVID, all, a, a huge number of craft breweries went under. And the reason for that is they made their money on uh, direct visits, mm-hmm. coming to the brewery, coming buying food, making it in there. And when that stopped, because they don't have a robust distribution system back to they couldn't get to they weren't selling their stuff at Target or a Bodega or BevMo or CVS. And so they don't have that distribution. So as we go into legalization, what's going to really happen is those who can't Scale and distri- distribute will become very boutique. You know, the last time we've had an industry like this was with the um, um, let's call it non TV film entertainment. You know, it started off with VHS. And do you know why we have VHS as opposed to the other type?
0: Beta, wasn't it Betamax? I do you don't
1: remember. Why we both chose VHS over Betamax?
0: I don't remember, no.
1: The porn industry went with VHS, and, uh, that,
0: and so the moment they
1: did that, that shot up VHS uh, VHS sales and Beta fell away. Mm-hmm. So, porn's porn's given us uh, mass publishing. It's given us VHS, and it gave us um, online banking or online uh, pay pay uh, pay systems, and it gave us streaming. They pioneered all four of those things. Mm-hmm. Just this little side note for the porn industry, but. You know, so we had these VHS that then went into all these mom and pop stores, you know, it's like, you know, Third Avenue video and, you know, Grandma's video and so all that went well. And then all of a sudden you had Blockbuster and Hollywood come along and, you know, either closed or gobbled up all these little ones. And then all of a sudden you know hollywood video and blockbuster are like oh we're really great we're the best thing ever and then all of a sudden the grocery stores were like hey we're gonna take a piece of that pie and all of a sudden hollywood video goes under and blockbuster starts shrinking and the grocery stores are like ah, we're making a bunch of money and then along comes netflix and all of a sudden they're like wait wait, wait what you can just see it on your tv <laughs> so we saw and you saw content creators content you know, you saw distributors, and then you saw retailers, and you saw how within a period of really 20 years, an entire industry came and went. And so, but it's a good indication for the cannabis industry, because they, when legalization comes, they have to figure out how it's going to fit in the bigger scheme of a consumer's life and a business's life. There, there's some a- very geeky. I feel very bad about that.
0: No, no, that was awesome. Um, it, it's got it's got my brain going. I'm thinking about things that are gonna work and not gonna work. Um, cannabis lounges are gonna get delayed, delivery is gonna get fast tracked. What else as the pandemic kind of created this? A stay at home probably got fast tracked 10 years. So stay at home is great. And uh, you know, I think it was a
1: COVID was a benefit for cannabis because it allowed people to try something they might not have tried if they still had to be in an extended social circle Mm -hmm. they were able to chill out do something and so what you saw is an increase in cannabis use and it's making people more comfortable with it as opposed to you know what we have nothing to do this weekend let's try a vetable as opposed to oh we have this thing and we have this thing and we're seeing the kids other we're doing our our, you know playmates you know play uh, playmates kids parents and all this other stuff so now it's kind of shrugging down and people are like, okay, well, let's try it. No one's going to judge us. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're seeing more com- people more comfortable with it all. It also helped with a lot of people's sleep because sleep was the number one thing people, people were willing to give up sex for sleep. More people were willing to give up sex for sleep during COVID than anything else.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. The number five on this list of uh, 21, uh, 2021 predictions is demand. That demand will be. Um, you know, just as high as it was last year as cannabis was deemed essential business, 11% think the demand is going to remain where it's at, um, with including like new, you know, new cannabinoids, uh, including CBD and hemp, all those things. Um, with possibly international expansion, even though we saw some of the Canadians kind of pulling back out of Colombia, they still want it. So with Israel and Mexico legalizing, what's that going to do to investment?
1: So demand is, you know, demand's not going to have anything sharp until two years after legalization, because it goes back to um, ease for the consumer, you know, the, and I've been to a lot of conferences and it's always about what as, I, you know, what's my profit margin and what's my distribution? And rarely do they think about where's the customer going to purchase? How many, so what was, your, before you quit drinking, what was your favorite drink? What did you drink most often? I should say. A
0: red blend.
1: So great. How many times did you go to a wine shop as opposed to picking something up at the grocery store or something?
0: Um, Yeah, grocery store is a lot more convenient. So price and convenience are my two top decision makers like everybody else.
1: Yeah. And so therefore, when I have to go to a separate store to purchase one thing, that's why you don't see a lot of all beer stores. Mm you know, you pick up, you can pick up beer anywhere and you can get different things, but you don't go to, oh yeah, we're going to drive across town or we're going to drive an extra eight blocks and go to the beer store to pick up something because it's convenience is the whole critical part to it all. And, you know, we have to also think we're not in a vacuum. Once we become fully legal, there's going to be a market, there's going to be an outdoor grow market here. And especially in states like Kentucky that, as a traditional tobacco, this is another crop they can do. Same with Mexico. Mexico is Mexico has a robust uh, grow environment now. There, they're going to push that into if the numbers work out. And when I say if the numbers work out, it's cheap, it's let's say it's more cost effective in their current distribution system to for it to be in a legal environment. And if it was in a legal environment, they would have an overlay of regulation and taxes. But Mexico has a huge, I mean, Mexico, Mexico doesn't rely on the U.S. to furnish all their weed now. So <laughs> the fact that we would assume that Mexico would suddenly go, we're legal. we're only buying this, might not necessarily be an exam. And the other thing is Colombia, you know, so you have all these countries that are great grow countries pushing out to Europe. Um, you know, there's a, there's a mindset that, oh, here's the companies that are now, there'll be lots more companies that grow up and why wouldn't you want to grow it outdoors? Cause it's easier and cheaper.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to be a lot cheaper with federal legalization. So I was just at the vape shop and I saw that tobacco, a, ba- a, a pound of tobacco is 1899. I was like, wow, that's going to be amazing when, when cannabis is like, we'll just say 89.99 for a pound. I'll, I'll deal with that. Uh, I feel lucky enough to get $500 pounds right now. Um, You know, $30 ounces are really, really nice. So I think Oregon, you can get that at a retail shop. But I'm wondering with Kentucky, you mentioned Kentucky, and I think they have the least funded pension plan in the country. So will Mitch McConnell look to cannabis eventually to fill those coffers? Who who, who pushed through the bill to help hemp grow in Kentucky? Uh, I don't know. Was it Mitch? Mitch McConnell. Was it? He was a little late to the show, though, wasn't he? It,
1: it came down to economic hardship and keeping job and jobs because so who are the, it when it goes legal, who are the three industries that are going to make uh, weed go legal? Who are the three industries that are driving this in Congress?
0: Oh, um, I would say the alcohol industry. Um. Uh, there's tobacco and pharmaceutical for sure.
1: Ding. And they have a lot more influence on legalization than the weed industry does. Remember the weed industry does basically in and out burger and subway and sales all, all year. So if you took the whole weed industry, it equals the amount of sales that in n out burger and subway does during the course of the year. Hmm. So think about that and the, and the scope of it all. So that really isn't that big of an economic push globally or nationally alcohol is super invested tobacco is super invested and sees where it's going and and also now all their technology coming out for vaping is uh geared to also be able to use weed Mm -hmm. and then pharmaceutical sees it as a way as a a brand new a whole new uh revenue stream for a whole new set of treatments for illnesses drugs accidents etc so those three are really kind of moving across the system so when that happens, you're going to see a lot of change. And alcohol and alcohol actually is, in my opinion, the best partner. Alcohol knows how to get it into hotels. Alcohol knows how to do a distribution. They know how to do it in a restaurant. And they can blend it together. Weed is never going to replace alcohol because our culture doesn't. We, we're a, a drinking culture. Mm-hmm. But it will definitely be a big compliment. Yeah. I'm not a big, I don't think you will ever see a national change of consu- um, consumption lounges because they just won't appeal to a lot of people. It's, um, you know, unless they have food and then all of a sudden, what if the girl doesn't like it? You know, um, you know most girls don't go to cigar bars. So, I mean, here's a perfect example. It's, there's not a national chain of cigar bars. So...
0: Yeah, El Gaucho has a cigar bar, but it's very, very small. And I don't think El Gaucho is like everywhere. Uh, and
1: it's also a part of their bigger, their big, it's it's part of their bigger um, footprint. Mm-hmm.
0: But will we have something similar to what the Red Light District has in Amsterdam, where you can go to a bar and also consume, you know, obviously you can't burn inside, but, you know. That's nice, because when I was over there, at least my wife could you know, drink some wine, and then I could smoke a joint, and that made for uh, a lot better things, rather than me staring at her going, are you almost done yet? <laughs> there you go.
1: And so, but it's funny, because I've spent the last couple of years talking to the wine, uh, the alcohol and restaurant industry. Uh, I've been a keynote to a lot of big conferences. And the ultimate would be, is to be at an Olive Garden. You know, in, in an Olive Garden, the average sale is two and a half glasses of wine. So, what's the ideal, you and your wife go, you have one vape, she has two two glasses of wine, and your vape might be $20, her two glasses of wine are $12, and so they're getting a comparat- a comparable amount, but what also is most likely to happen is the two of, another couple might go, they might get one vape and a glass of wine to begin with, and then maybe one more glass of wine because now they've chilled out, it's a vape that isn't too strong so they can drive. And then they're choosing to have the wine on top of that, because people are used to having that wine to accent their dinner.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they might have one of those strains that gives them the munchies, and then they just order a whole food platter. And then next thing you know, they're the bills. More, more,
1: more. Yeah. endless endless bread basket <laughs>
0: yeah, that's not gonna help
1: <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna really sure the places that have the endless stuff would like to do the munchy one no
0: no no that's gonna be a different different model for sure they have to change that up that's funny uh, anything we didn't cover anything that uh you are anticipating to be a big story that isn't a story yet anything you want to cover at all
1: i think when it goes legal you're going to be surprised at who jumps in I think you're, and I think, and I think what's going to be anticlimactic is the general public's just going to take it as if it was another beer rolling out. Mm -hmm. I don't think there will be as much uh, consumer uprising as there was with new Coke.
0: (laughs) That's great. There's only two states that are left out at this point, Idaho and North Dakota, is that right? Um
1: so they can get idaho is built in such a way you can go anywhere and get it
0: yeah so are they gonna just like wait until it's federal are they gonna be the last ones to to approve it or is it gonna be this just island around idaho that you just have to like go around because there's just no they just let's,
1: let's just remember also idaho and north dakota are are um, Idaho is different because they have the Sun Valley, all that area. But in general, they tend to be more um, go-it-alone, anti-government type of people. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that product is not available to everybody who wants it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I've Spokane, Washington can attest for that because they get a lot of sales from their Idaho residents crossing the border and buying in Spokane.
1: <laughs> I'm sure they have local dealers who also fulfill their need, too. Yeah, so yeah. same with North Dakota. It's all about... You know, it's this hypocrisy of, of I don't want to do that because that's wrong. And where's my portion of it?
0: Do you have any opinions about Montana uh, back in the day reversing their medical stance, very similar to what South Dakota is trying to do with their judge reversing that or the delay on New Jersey's part? Um, I mean, Virginia wanting to launch in 2024. It's like, how, how long does this take? Well, it actually, to roll out a
1: program does take a while, because once you start doing medical and a legal incident, there's a lot of oversight to it all to make you have consistency of product. product. Um, but let's be, let's be real when it comes, especially to New Jersey, New York, et cetera. Do you know what the battle is over is who's getting the money? Mm-hmm. So when I, and I'm, I'm this is rough numbers, 10 license in the state of New York, do you know what you had to do to get that license?
0: Be in business for 30 years and pay 20 million?
1: To apply for the license, you had to pay a million (laughs) dollar fee, non-refundable, and you had to have 5 million lined up, including the real estate. That could be an escrow, so you could have that in commitments, but you had to pay a million dollars. They had 50 companies, over 50 companies apply, and they gave 10 licenses. So the state made 40 some odd million dollars for doing nothing. Wow, So like Ohio. And, and let's think of New York, New Jersey. As we know, they have a, shall we call it a complicated governmental system?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sidestep in the corruption there. Because
1: it's a, it is a lot of money. And I, I will say Colorado has done the best. Colorado has the best taxing system. They got rid of the most. They are the one who's gotten rid of the most of the uh, black market, the illegal market. Uh, they've done the best job and rarely has anybody done. And you look at California. California has fumbled the rollout because they couldn't figure out, they couldn't say, here's the model for the state. It was like, oh, this and this. And everyone kept trying to put their hand in their pocket. Mm -hmm. Well, Many people go to a legal store, like what they find, and then find someone who'll sell it to them cheaper.
0: I like Colorado's vertically integrated opportunities. You can grow, you can produce, you can sell, and it really keeps everything streamlined and the price point competitive. And you can see that in some of these um, you know, analytics companies like Headset, where you can see the competitive nature. And Washington has a ton of brands. So we're competitive, but a lot of companies have multiple brands. You okay. go to Colorado when it seems like it's more competitive um, because we're able to kind of control that whole um you know the, the whole supply chain so I, I really like their model as well
1: and, and there's some great point-of-sale companies out there so yep. we love them
0: yep yep cool I think um with that I think we're going to roll this one up um JJ McKay where can they get you where can they find you at what are some links uh
1: they can email me at publisher at the they could follow us on social media at Get Fresh Toast. They can go onto Facebook and follow the Fresh Toast or the Fresh Toast News. Um, or they could, And on some days, they could read us in their local paper.
0: Great. We'll have uh, some of those links in the description in the show notes as well. So with that, I think we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, J.J. McKay. He is the founder and publisher at Fresh Toast. J.J., thanks for being on the Talking Hedge. Thank you and have a great day. And I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.